Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. You know what? Oh, Jeremy. Huh? I had sleep paralysis again. Did you? Yeah. Have you been having nightmares None. and things? None. Wow. I've been having a lot of nightmares. I've got a great hold on everything. I'm, I'm doing pretty great, actually. No nightmares here. Wow. Must be something going on in your life, huh? Probably. Probably. I don't know. It's been freaking me out. What have your nightmares been about? Okay, so it's always the same, pretty much. Like, there's, like, some slight variation. I can't remember all of them, but I have been, like, waking up in the middle of the night for probably, like, every other night for the past two weeks. Only one was a sleep paralysis, but all of them are, like, a demon is standing in the corner of my room. Really? Yeah, and it's like this weird fourth wall type dream where like I'm dreaming, but I'm not dreaming. In my dream, I am aware that I am dreaming, but like also I'm like watching myself in my room kind of thing. Ooh, and I there's, never had that. And there's like a demon in my room and I know that it's like trying to get me or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. That's terrifying. Yeah, Wait, so you, so can you see yourself? For some reason, I can't. It, it's like I'm dreaming um, and sometimes I'm still lying down in my dream, but sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm in the corner of my room, like on the ceiling, kind of like watching everything. But you're still first person. Yeah, first person. You're just on and the I ceiling don't, I sleeping. don't like see myself, but like I know that I'm there in my bed, if that makes sense. No, that doesn't make sense. Because I'm, I'm mostly fucking staring at the demon thing. Most of my sleep paralysis experiences have been... My eyes are closed, but I, I sense that someone's there. Oh, or like my eyes are yeah. a little bit open. And I can just barely make out someone being there. I've had a few where my eyes are straight up open and I can literally see a man about to get me. It's never been super visual. It's always been like auditory, sensory, but not a lot of sight, which I'm glad because I don't want to see that stuff. Right. I'm very grateful I haven't seen it. See, mine are mostly visual. Maybe I would count those as sleep paralysis then because I always wake up with my eyes like kind of half open a little bit, having that really intense feeling that something's there mm-hmm. and not being able to like shake it. Yeah. But the sleep paralysis that I had was that same context. Mm-hmm. And in my grimoire, I have this spell for breaking curses that I've done before, but I like have it memorized. Like I know how to do it. I didn't have the tools with me because I was in bed. It's you don't like, sleep with a grimoire? First yeah. mistake. Well, what you do, you have a candle and you use like cinnamon and salt, but the way that you visualize in your brain is a big part of it. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of spell work is like manifestation, meditation type things. So I knew that part of it and that I could do while I was laying down and not able to move. And during the sleep paralysis, I didn't see anything, but I knew that it was there. I was kind of like half in, half out of like an actual dream. In this dream, I had a candle and I was doing this stuff and it was like blowing out the candle and it was disrupting the altar and everything. So I was like waking up and saw this shadowy thing in the corner and I was like really fucking scared. So I left my room and Harry was there. And so he like woke up because he saw me and he he was all happy and excited. So like I took him outside and was watching him frolic in the moonlight and like that cheered me up. But I was like, oh, fuck's sake. God, that was horrifying. That's really spooky. So your dream involved fucking witchcrafty stuff. Then you wake up with like a quasi sleep paralysis episode that leads you into consciousness. 
Mm -hmm. it's like related to the dream. Yeah. That's scary because I've never had that at all. That's terrifying. And it almost makes me feel, not to sound like an alarmist, but it kind of sounds like that you opened a thing. Uh, you opened a, a oh thing. God. I mean, a thing. I mean, like door, window, portal, whatever you want to call it. Don't fucking say that shit to me. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is fucking terrifying. When did this happen? Two weeks ago. Oh, okay, so it's fresh. So it's like okay. very fresh. Okay. Very new. Okay. But it's weird because like I I meditate out in the sunroom, mm-hmm. and I have like since I've moved here, and sometimes when I'm doing that, I feel like I shouldn't close my eyes because something's there. And I get like really weird and I freak myself out and I get like a lot of paranoia about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, like I need to stop right now because I'm just freaking myself out and I can't concentrate. And so now I'm like, what if there is something there this whole time? That's really scary. So for me and for anyone who's listening right now, <laughs> what is the extent of, you talk about a grimoire. Yeah. What are you doing? What's this, what, what have you started to do with this? I'll call it a, a hobby, a practice, whatever. Like a... A mixture of both, I guess, hobby and practice. I don't do it like regularly. Like I have a grimoire of like these like kind of little spell things that I've accumulated and start doing. And like I have friends who um, have given me spell worky type things. I look at it more as like a meditation exercise kind of manifestation type thing to like calm my mind and like my nerves. And it gives me like something to focus on focus on like a good future or like success or you Mm -hmm. know positive energy and like getting rid of negative energy like if you're doing things it really cements that in your brain and it helps you to like focus on the good things you know and that's like a lot of what mine kind of end up being right so that's kind of mostly what it is but then there's also spells you're talking about yeah, because there's like different ideas, right? Like cinnamon and like salt are supposed to like help with certain things, you know, like how crystals are supposed to help with certain things. So it's kind of like the same idea. Cumin and like cinnamon and things like that are supposed to be good for warding off negative energy. Mm-hmm. Salt is like also a part of that. Candle work is good for cleansing and purifying things. A1 steak sauce. <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> Smear that on a but rock. It's like specific spell. I don't remember exactly. Um, I got you. In so, my mind. so it's really just like a, it's like most things are in terms of anything with the occult, anything with religion, whatever. It's all kind of like meditation. It's all kind yeah. of like a therapeutic. Uh, like mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness. That's what I'm yeah, looking yeah. for. Mindfulness. Yeah, it's just like mindfulness. Except things. you're putting cinnamon yeah. sugar on some. Cinnamon salt. Cinnamon salt. Yeah. What does cinnamon do? Cinnamon is supposed to be good for protection. And like prosperity. So it's like a way to shield from negative energies and it's like cleansing. And salt is similar, right? Salt wards things off. Protection, purification. That's spooky though. I mean, it's probably nothing. Yeah. As I'm introducing myself to more of these kind of like mystical, spiritual type things, I'm like allowing myself to believe in it a little bit more. And then like the other coin of that is like also believing these negative things. And so like that's bleeding into my dreams, I'm sure. That's important to consider as well, I guess, too. I just want magic to be real. I want magic to be real. I want scary things to happen (laughs) for real this time. Well, it's good because we're going to be talking about a lot of magical stuff for this episode. That's very true. This was like a dark topic to start this episode. (laughs) Well, like, okay, so that's the thing, though. It's called witchcraft. What do you call it? Like Wicca. Wicca. Wicca, witchcraft. Everyone kind of like has a different name for it. As your friend, it's a thing I always forget that you do. And then, like, I'll walk by and you have, like, a feather pen and, like, a crystal on your desk or something. I'm like, what the? Oh, that's right. She communes with 
The Dark Lord. <laughs> but yeah, so I just was curious about that. So you're doing the positive stuff, but also with that, you kind of have to open your mind up to the negative side, which is the duality of it, like negative spirits, bad energy, stuff like that. Right. Um, Spooky demon thing. Which is great, which I love that stuff. I love any kind of hauntings, any kinds of weird, like the idea of like, oh, I opened something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff's so scary. I saw this uh, thing the other day, though, and it was right after I had a nightmare, and it was like, Ghosts and spirits cannot harm you because if they could, we would have no white men anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you think about it, like how many massacres white men have caused over the centuries, if people who were, you know, on the other hand of that could actually seek vengeance and cause harm after they pass, there's no way they would let them go scot-free. We're talking about... Evil demons, evil spirits. Let's back humans away a little bit. Let's say if, so if evil spirits can do things, I don't think they're human. That's true. Because I don't think humans are, if there is like a third eye, all that kind of funky stuff. I, I don't think most humans, when they die, I don't think you can do that. Because you, why when you die, you can do all these things you could never even fathom conceptually in your head. I think that if there is like a negative energy, if there are spirits or demons or whatever, they were never human to begin with. They're this okay, other well, thing. That was the only thing letting me sleep at night. Yeah. And so my thing is like, (laughs) you may make the, you know, joking, but true point of white men wouldn't exist. If they like chaos, if they like Mm. pain and suffering. That's true. That's why white men continue to whatever, you know? Right. Did I just become a red pill? (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're on top now. Is Is that why they're trying to get rid of me? I'm too positive. But I mean, on the flip side of that, it's like maybe the reason why there's been so much horrific colonizing and and white... Mm white patriarchy, whatever you want to call that stuff, that that really horrible things throughout history. If you want to open the idea to like evil spirits stepping out of the way to allow things to happen, that's why it continues to happen. Theoretically. I'm not saying like, hell yeah, demons are on our side as a white man. I'm just saying like, I, I think that it's even more reason why, because spirits aren't interested in human affairs because they're not human. And if they're... <gasps> what the fuck what was, was that? that? Did you hear that? <laughs> what was that? What actually was that? What the fuck was that? I've never heard that before. Is that your dog? I thought it came from over here. Yeah, like behind the curtain thing. Wait a second. Dude, I have a legitimate, like my legs and arms are covered in goosebumps right now. My eyes are tearing up. It's me too. It's me too. What the fuck was that? I hope that got picked up. Okay, yeah. Pause this and then we're going to listen gonna to pause, that. We're going to pause this. Okay, we just let's make sure that everything is recording right. What if we're haunted? Well, now you're now we're just gonna be focusing on what we can hear. So I know, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so what had just happened? We were talking about something, a certain subject. <laughs> okay, so we are currently in in Mo's basement. Yeah. And as you heard previously, Mo was talking about how they. You do witchcraft things and yeah, and having like sleep sense. paralysis and like these nightmares and all right, this stuff. Right, and we were stuff. talking about that. Yep. Uh, and, and then we, we had to, yeah. we had to like pause for a minute um, and listen to the audio again because we both very clearly heard something from the other side of the room. Yeah, while we were talking about that. Um, so I feel sketched out now. Yeah, uh, we were both make... very we were both very sketched out. Um, <laughs> I was talking about demons. And, um, <laughs> looking around the room. <laughs> looking around the room, waiting for someone to speak up. 
And uh, literally right after I said, we're talking about the whole, you just heard it. You don't even hear me fucking recount it. But so right when I had said, they don't care about human affairs because they're not human. We both heard like a remark from across the room, essentially, is how Mo said it. But to me, I it sounded like, it sounded breathy. Yeah. I thought it was Mo's dog, like maybe upstairs or in the corner, like somewhere over there on that side of the room sighing or, or like, like some of his dogs will burp right or just like, like breathing yeah just breathing making, heavily. A weird, yeah. making a weird pant sound then it turns out the dog's been under the table at mo's feet for the entire recording so it's not that yeah mo says you've never heard that sound before. i've never no because i you spend a lot of time in this basement yeah I, most of the time i spend in this house it's in this basement man that was genuinely weird that was really weird <sighs> Okay. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, okay, we're good though. We're fine. You're we're staying fine. the night. We're fine. We're fine. Oh man. Uh, it's okay. <sighs> I'm leaving in a couple of days. But the okay. thing is, it's like all the, all these nightmares and things have been happening for like the past two weeks, and I've been really sick the past two weeks. So. Ah, uh, you have. We had to cancel last week because you weren't feeling good. Yeah, and then this week, uh, part of my cornea fell off. So <laughs> that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Uh, I don't know. It was probably nothing. Probably it's probably, we were talking about weird stuff in this we're house. We were stuff. talking we're about, you know. We're already on edge. Yeah, we're already on edge. We're psyching each other out. You know 100%, I mean? yeah. So. We're fine. I just so badly want you to burn something just in case. I can. Do you want me to go grab cinnamon? That's okay. Cinnamon? Where's the cinnamon at? Upstairs. I'm downstairs. But I how, can... No, how about we leave this going? You leave me down here. We'll see if we pick anything else up. Go grab the cinnamon. <laughs> okay. I'm going to talk to y'all. As I wait for Mo to come back, it is quiet. There is nothing happening. But I'm going to give you the play-by-play. Nothing happening. We're in a basement. Let me describe this basement to you. So we've got a really nice sectional. Edison bulbs that make it kind of nice and, and improve the atmosphere. And if there's anything down here, what's going on? What's up? You can talk if you need to. Just don't, uh, we just don't want to interact with you. But if you need to say something, feel free to say something. The dog just stood up and scared the absolute fuck out of me. Thanks a lot, Harry. Uh, his coat is mainly black and he was stretched as he got up. So I was pretty convinced that a strange, stretchy, uh, midnight skinned demon had crawled out of the table and my heart is still going. Okay, Moe's back. Moe is getting two tea lights. Uh, and why don't you just. Put a dash of cinnamon and one a dash of cumin. Uh, what does cumin smell like? Ooh, it kind of smells like an armpit, but a good kind of armpit. That smells like a meal. I think I, I'd prefer cinnamon. Very nice. Get that evenly spread. Beautiful. Oh, they both have cinnamon. One is cumin and cinnamon. Surprisingly Martha Stewart-ish, you know? <laughs> I didn't think that this was what this was about, but it's kind of nice. And then we are lit. Slight detour. Uh, we have a podcast and dog now. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, because we're in my basement and I have this sweet old man dog who just likes to sleep at my feet, basically. Um, and he is currently being <laughs> bullied by the cat. This is what made me think of this because he is so sweet, basically, he just wants to sleep the whole time. But we have like a, a one year old, probably like a one and a half year old cat now. And does not understand that Harry, my dog, is uncomfortable around him. <laughs> and so he'll, like, bully him. So anytime he wants to come in from outside, the cat, like, lies in wait to, like, jump out at him and, like, attack him and yeah. stuff because he wants to play. And Harry will just stand there 
Because he like doesn't know what to do, so I have to like come intervene and be like, Harry, come on. Harry is so sweet, so such a gentle soul, and also like a very uh, interesting looking dog because he looks like he's like mostly black. He kind of has, like like looks like a black lab, but with the yeah. legs of like a corgi. Yeah, he's really weird. <laughs> he. <laughs> I feel like he has the soul of an old man. Yeah, like yeah. you look in his eyes and it's like, this is an old man. Yep. He's like my little protector. Um, but anytime I go brush my teeth in the bathroom or whatever, because I always do that before bed, he has to like lay at my feet while I do it um, or like lay outside the door of mm-hmm. the bathroom. And the other night, one of the cats was like super pissy. And there's like a hallway that goes to my bathroom. And the cat was in the hallway. And Harry so desperately wanted to come and like <laughs> lay outside the doorway because <laughs> I was brushing my teeth. Yeah. But the cat was like growling at him Aww. and he was like frozen and <laughs> fear like his entire body weight was on the side of this hallway wall because yeah. he like could not move and he could not possibly get farther away from this it's cat. Because so he's about three times the size of this cat. Right. Three times? Three times, right? Yeah. That was like way more. Right, right. Like 50 times. 50 times? Yeah, 50, 50 of that cat, which is looking me dead in the eye. He's down here yeah, right now. Harry's a big boy. I ended up going over and escorting Harry to the bathroom so that he could hang out with me happily because he was so frozen in fear from this cat. You know how cats will kind of like <laughs> rub their head into your hand to make you pet yeah. them? So the cat is currently on my side of the table. So I, I'm looking at you. I hold my hand down and my hand's kind of like hooked, like my fingers are bent in. Mm-hmm. This cat like rams his, his head into me. To more make me pet him. And like my finger just definitely went into his eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> like they got wet. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Ew. Didn't care. Didn't care at all. Ew. Cats are fucking weird. Cats are like horny for touches. They really are. It makes you deeply uncomfortable. Ho, ho, holy shit. The holiday season is upon us already. Man, time flies faster than a fat man in a magic sleigh. And for many of us, this time of the year is spent stressing over holiday shopping. Don't get me wrong, there's no better feeling than giving someone a gift that you know is an absolute slam dunk. But it's near impossible to find the right gift for everyone. And we've all got that one person in our life who's just impossible to shop for. If you're struggling in your pursuit of the perfect present, then you're in luck. Because our sponsor Manscaped has a Christmas miracle up their sleeve. Whether you're shopping for others or treating yourself, Manscaped offers a growing variety of top-rated tools for looking and feeling your best this holiday season. Be the best secret Santa you can be with show-stealing stocking stuffers like the Weed Whacker, a powerfully portable ear and nose hair trimmer. Speaking from personal experience, the Weed Whacker keeps my nostrils clean and clear with none of the pain that other harsh, aggressive hair trimmers can cause. That's right, I wasn't born with these beautiful nostrils. It's all thanks to Manscaped. To put it simply, the Weed Whacker conveniently and comfortably trims those hard-to-reach places, like your nose holes or your ear holes. And for those with a special stinky man in your life, you know the one. Manscaped offers famous liquid formulations, such as their signature cologne and cologne-infused body wash. Or for something a little less subtle, check out the Crop Preserver, which is literally deodorant made specifically for your balls. Now that's a gift that doesn't beat around the bush. (laughs) That pun was intended and you know it. And for stinky folks of all genders, Manscaped just launched their new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, so you can kill two birds with one stone. Except you won't be killing the birds, or any other friendly woodland creatures for that matter. Because all of Manscaped's formulations are made entirely cruelty-free, not to mention dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, and vegan. 
But don't eat Manscapes products, uh, please. This holiday season, give the gift of grooming by shopping with Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with offer code IDIOT. That's code I-D-I-O-T. Thanks, Manscaped. Well, I actually have something I wanted to share, too, just because yeah. we, we are, you know, racing the clock at this point. And there's also a demon in this room. So, oh, okay, well. But I want, <laughs> I'm addressing it. I want to talk about this thing I thought was is, is stupid, small, short little thing. I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found this while on some weird Wikipedia, like falling into a rabbit hole kind of thing. It's called the sweater curse. Oh, interesting. Do you like to knit? No. You've ne- you never knit? I don't have the patience. Neither do I. Well, someone out there probably knits. And that's awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. We just think it's lame. We just like doing cool things like running around on the tips of our toes. Yeah. So the sweater curse or the love sweater curse is a popular belief among knitters, as in people who knit, that giving a significant other a hand-knitted sweater as a gift will lead to the recipient breaking up with the knitter before the completion of the so-called love sweater. Wow. So if you begin the process before you are done making it, or on the on the flip side, also there's the belief that Right after you give it to them, they'll break up with you. And I'm curious, anybody out there who's a knitter? All I'm thinking of is that fucking that SpongeBob song. Song. When you wanna wear a striped sweater, all the time. time. And he gives like Squidward a sweater made out of his tears. Yeah, or eyelashes. I think that was totally different. Those are. I think you're combining several episodes. Probably. But yeah, so this is like a superstition essentially. It obviously has no ground in reality whatsoever, but or, it's like kind of a phenomena. Or is it like something based off of the fact that knitting takes for fucking ever? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll get to that. Absolutely. I've done the paranormal a time or two. (laughs) So uh, according to a 2005 survey carried out by the popular publication Knitter's Review. Wow. 15% of active knitting hobbyists had experienced the sweater curse firsthand. With a whopping 41% of those surveyed considered it to be a serious possibility. Wow. So among knitters, this is big. So the rational take of this obviously is the curse is, I guess, partially related to like confirmation bias. An individual may recall breakups more vividly when attached to like the laborious task of knitting a sweater. You know what I mean? So like you could go through many breakups in your life, big and small, but if you're doing this task with this person in mind, it burns in your memory more. So you go, oh, it wasn't just a shitty relationship. It was a sweater curse. Right. On top of that, also, like the financial investment, the time investment. Right. um, The exacerbated sense of rejection because you gave someone something or were going to give someone something kind of just like stands out in your mind more. And like you're more like, well, God damn, there's something to this, you know? Right. And it's like you probably had more feelings then than the other person if you're willing to like do all of this and then they just want to break up with you. Right. And that stings extra. Yeah. And also other aspects of it is unlucky timing. Also, like a lot of times this, the sweater could be like a form of rescue. Like, okay, the relationship's failing. I'm going to make them the sweater. I'm going to make them something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so it was already coming. But then by the time the sweater is done or almost done, it ends just because it was going to end. Right. And also what I thought was interesting, too, is... Uh, the two examples they give on the... I found this is all on Wikipedia. I honestly find Wikipedia very credible. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of arguments. I read like an NPR article where they said Wikipedia is very much credible because of how much input it can get from users. And that the fact that input is edited too, like if it's incorrect. Right, and it, it, it has takes references bit, listed. Like a lot of right. websites don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as a research-based podcast, I think I can say that most of the sites that I get information from 
half of them list sources. Otherwise, I'm just going off like general authority of like a website or like the accreditation of the name of the website or the source or whatever. Right. Unless it's like a very like kooky out there kind of like wild idea. In that case, I don't really care about sources because I'm like, yeah, trying, exactly. I, yeah. I feel like I'm infiltrating a circle I'm not supposed to be a part of and right. I'm already getting secret information. Yeah. It's all very tongue in cheek. Like, OK, if we're talking about the Loch Ness monster, what kind of sources, what are the, what is the value of a source on some, on like a really crazy yeah. thing? But so two other, uh, they give a bunch of like mechanisms or like ex- examples to explain this water curse. And like two of them I thought were really interesting were insufficient gratitude. Like when you, oh. when they get the sweater and the person's like, ah, thank you. Mm. That plants the seed of like, they should like this more. And that leads to a breakup. And then also misdirected attention, which I think is probably the number one thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to get you a sweater. That'll fix things. Instead of working on problems, I'm making you a sweater. Right. You know, like I'm not working on anything. I'm just making you a sweater. I'm going to fix this marriage by having a baby. Exactly. That's a sweater. Yeah. That's a sweater. Everybody has a sweater. Sometimes it's a baby. Before you have a baby, you should knit a sweater. And if your relationship survives the knitter's sweater curse, Mm -hmm. then you're probably fine and you can have a baby. Most of my breakups, it's like after the baby's been knitted, I just lose interest and I go and I leave. Right. Or while the baby's being knitted, I'm goners. See it. Bye. Right. And then that's good because then it's not fear. Fairy, fairy, what was I trying to say there? I don't even know. It's not manifested yet. Like it's it's not a physical being. Right. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's all loose yarn. That's all babies are. It's all, all loose, life all is a bunch yarn. of loose yarn. Yeah. I'm gonna talk about that today. I'm gonna talk about that yarn? real hard. He has oh, some God loose damn. yarn of let's life. Follow, let's follow this yarn. We're following this yarn. Okay, look at us. Oh, it's going to into uh, spinning uh, a tale of magic. Magic. Oh, oh my goodness. Tarot cards. Here we are. Did you like that ride? Yeah, wasn't that a fucking crazy transition? Wow. A vortex of magic. We're going to talk Egyptian hecka magic. We're going to talk tarot cards. We're going to talk Kabbalah. We're going to talk tree of life. (laughs) There's a whole lot of shit we're going to be throwing at you today. Oh, damn. Let's knit this sweater. I went so much deeper than I thought that I would with tarot. Really? I hope that y'all are ready for the amount of information I'm about to dump on you. Like a massive dump. Let's take a big old dump on your chest, huh? (laughs) Huh, listener? You want us to give you a dirty Sanchez? Is that what that is? That seems like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love the blank stare I'm getting from you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't start. Let's do tarot. Let's do tarot. Also, interesting, not pronounced tarot. No. For a very long time, even when we were doing this podcast, I always in my head said tarot, like carrot. Now it's tarot. Um, And I'll actually talk about the name a bit. Okay, cool. Well, let's jump in. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventure. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Witness the power of the tarot. The cards don't have the magic. The reader has the magic. There are 78 cards made up of the major and the minor arcana. The cards can reveal things that you will never see by yourself. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Are you ready for some Otero? Oh, wait, hold on, no, no. Do we have the rights to walk like an Egyptian? Mm, walk like an Egyptian. Probably not. Damn. We can sing it, though. 
I can do a cover. Um, do you know the words? No. Neither do I. Just, just sing it and then um, well, you don't know the words either. Walk like an Egyptian. That's the coolest part of the song anyways. There we go. Beautiful. You wouldn't even know that neither of us know the song. I know. So we're going to be starting, like you had mentioned before, with magic, more specifically Egyptian magic, even more specifically ancient Egyptian Heka. I do want to mention that this topic was picked by our patrons on our Patreon. Oh my God. Yes. That's important to mention. Yeah. So we did a Patreon poll. This is one of the, one of the perks you get as uh, a member of our Patreon. We revamped our Patreon and we added some new tiers. Originally it was just one tier where you could help support and you would get like art and things like that. But we added a couple more tiers. We now have the ability to create polls So we'll give some topic ideas. You can suggest some, but basically you can vote on what topic you want us to record next. So we had some people vote and this is the topic that won out. So if you decided to vote on that, thank you so much. And we're doing this for you, bad bitches. Also, you can suggest your own episodes. If that is something that interests you, definitely check out our Patreon page. We also do early releases of our episodes and we do ad free as well on our Patreon. So Now that we're getting some big, bad sponsorships and you don't want to hear about them, that's <laughs> fine. I understand. <laughs> but for a measly price every month, you can get ad-free listening on our Patreon. Yep. Yep. I think lowest is two. $2. $5 is our ad-free <laughs> and early episode release. And then $10, you get to add your suggestions and feedback onto future episodes, as well as all of the benefits of the earlier tiers. Correct, Amunda. So thank you to the patrons who helped sway the hand of fate to pick this this interesting topic of tarot and Egyptian Heka. I had never heard of Heka before at all. I didn't even know it was a thing. So that's interesting. So I learned a lot here. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you will learn a lot as well. So if we are going to dive into tarot, uh, according to Mo and according to the people of Patreon, Heka plays a role in this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like more of related ideals. Okay. It kind of like translates because tarot has some ties with Egyptian culture, like mythology. So I think knowing the background of Heka, like their version of magic and everything, kind of plays a really cool, interesting part with tarot. Okay. Um, so I'm going to tell you all about Heka. Heka is essentially magic in ancient Egyptian mythology and culture. Heka is the god of magic and medicine in ancient Egyptian culture. And... Heka is also the personification of magic itself. So it's kind of confusing mm. that way. It's kind of this, it's sort of, um, I say this a lot, but conceptual. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's certainly a concept. The precise history of Heka is still being uncovered and pieced together by Egyptologists. Early Egyptologists found little evidence of Heka being as fundamental to ancient Egyptian religion and society. But over time, we sort of pieced together like how consequential it was to the culture. And the reason why little evidence was found for example, no shrines, no temples for Heka, right. this supposed god, is because it's one of those weird things in ancient anthropology or whatever, an idea or a concept or a thought that is so prevalent that you almost don't need to write it down. Right. Everyone knows about it. There's no worry of it being forgotten right. because it's so ingrained in the fiber of the- Integral. F- exactly. Yeah. And so Heka is like that. It's sort of like a- it's just part of the mythology. It's really weird. And also Egyptian mythology is very interesting. It's very unique and yeah. it's very much like in its own world, which I find really interesting. And I love learning about it. It's one of my like favorite things that I've always been interested in as a child because I just find it all very fascinating. 
So unlike the figurehead gods like Osiris and Anubis or Isis, Heka had no cult devoted to it, no uh, distinct religious custom or ritual, and no dedicated temples until what's called the late period of ancient Egypt. And this is a period often associated with the decline of ancient Egypt's prosperity and rule just before the empire was taken by the Persian Empire and then by the ancient Greeks. So it's, I think it's kind of strange in that way where it's, like I said before, you don't need to make a temple or a statue to it because it'll never be forgotten. And then the late period is when you start seeing things being erected in its honor because the empire is falling so perhaps it's at risk of being forgotten. Also, I think there's probably has something to do with the fact that even to the ancient Egyptians, Heka, it seems, was seen as a concept. It wasn't taken totally seriously. Well, the magic was serious. That was yeah. real. But the character of Heka mm. was more folksy. And honestly, I'm sure some people at the time did really follow the old concept of Heka being a literal god. But for the most part, Heka was just magic. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, it was overlooked by early Egyptologists. To really understand Heka, to start with the skeleton of what this is, mm-hmm. we have to go to the creation myth, okay. which is very interesting and very much a creation myth because of how fucking strange it is. <laughs> um, so like I said before, Heka is synonymous with magic. In many religions and mythologies, including ancient Egyptian beliefs, magic is the catalyst of creation, that first spark. It's like right. what you need to do what you're going to do, which is create an entire universe and world. Mm -hmm. Egyptians believed Heka to be a primordial force that existed at the time of the world's creation. Mm -hmm. It was present when the creator god Atum? Does that sound familiar to you? I think so, yeah. So what's weird is that, so there's kind of an amalgamation of like what their idea of the creator god was. You'll hear Ra, you'll hear Atum, and you'll hear Atum-Ra or Ra-Atum. It's all kind of the same thing. Okay, so... Heka, once Atum-Ra emerged from the swirling primordial waters, most ancient creation myths, there is this idea of chaos, in this case, the primordial waters. So before everything, there was chaos. And then chaos spits out, boom, this god. And then he's got magic and he's got this, he's got that. So he kind of like organizes it and like makes it take shape. Exactly. In a way that makes sense. He emerges from chaos and he organizes it. So the physical form of Heka changes across time and varies from story to story. What form Heka is personified as is mostly irrelevant. And the important thing to remember is that Heka was, quote unquote, magic, both literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. Ancient Egyptians believed the world and all things in and of the world was created with this magic. Therefore, the world and all of life was imbued with the same magical energy that Atum-Ra used to create it. This magic existed inside of all humans in the form of a soul. That's the shape that it took. It takes a different shape in whatever it's involved in. Right. So just like Heka, the human soul was an eternal force residing inside the body. Because Heka is just this sort of universe fuel. That's a kind of interesting idea because I feel like we all universally have this idea of like an energy. Kind of like a positive, negative, balance, charge Mm -hmm. to everything. Yeah, exactly. And you can like manipulate this energy in different ways. And I just think that's really interesting that between like all creation stories, mythology, whatever you want to call it, there's always this universal idea. Yeah. What may be hard to, not hard, but like different is that, so we're very, we're by and large used to like a more Western view of magic, which is like conjured. You have to do a spell or a ritual while with Heka, it's just always there. And you can do a spell or ritual to to use it, but it'll always be present. Right. And you can feel it. It's inside of you. It's around you. It's in everything. I like that idea of magic more than like spell work. Right. There's no like ties to it being demonized. The Western Judeo-Christian view of witchcraft is primarily 
wrong or mm-hmm. bad. It can be used for good, but it's unnatural. Mm-hmm. Whereas in ancient Egypt, magic and the use of magic was very, very natural. It mm-hmm. was very normal. It was not, you couldn't be a bad witch. You were just a doctor who used magic or right. whatever. So there's no, not necessarily negative connotations to magic at all. No one was afraid of the magic. Because it just is. Because it just is. It's just a part of everyone. Because mm-hmm. I feel like at that point, in the Egyptian mindset, rejecting magic at a point is rejecting yourself. I was looking at the Egyptian gods trying to understand Heka. Because for me, when I was researching this, I was really having a hard time understanding like, okay, what is Heka? It is so vague. Because it's like this God, but it's also this idea. Mm -hmm. I feel like they tend to do that. They kind of project these broad ideals onto their gods. Yeah. And also like the gods can mean multiple things. The gods have multiple origins. Mm -hmm. Kind of depends on like what myth you're following. From what I found. Because also I know for a fact that people devote their lives to Egyptology and stuff. So you could be listening to being like, uh, you're completely wrong. I know what you're talking (laughs) about. Um, But this is, you know, what I could find as a simpleton. To help put into perspective, consider the Egyptian god Marat. Marat was thought to be the offspring of the sun god Ra, or like I said before, Ra Atum, Atum Ra, a composite god. They're the first god. They are also the same yet referenced separately sometimes. I don't know. Um, Anyways, Marat is the ancient Egyptian goddess of truth, justice, harmony, and balance. She's depicted as a winged woman wearing an ostrich feather on her head. The feather of Marat was used in the afterlife ceremony known as the weighing of the soul and heart, a judgment believed to occur after death when the heart of the soul, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird. So it's like you're, you have a heart, but also your soul has a heart. Yeah. So the heart of the soul of the recently deceased was weighed against Marat's feather on the scales of justice. Mm. So in the afterlife... There's like a big old scale, like a balance called the scales of justice. And like Heka, Marat did not have a devoted temple or cult. And over time, the concept of Marat transcended from literal goddess to a much greater and more general underlying force Mm -hmm. of the mortal and supernatural worlds. So Marat came to be a representation of the harmonious balance present in both the natural world and the heavens. So in this creation myth, when Atum-Ra spoke the world into creation after emerging from the, these waters. Uh, Marat was birthed in the blink of an eye once he spoke. And immediately she imbued the world with order, purpose, and rationality. Hmm. So just for context, the catch is that Marat was manifested by Ra using Heka, and her abilities were powered by Heka. So that shows you how big Heka is. Yeah. Heka is even greater than order and, you know, mm. the way the world works. Heck is bigger than that. Well, in order to have organization, you need to have chaos. Right, you know? exactly. And that kind of goes back to the fact that everything starts with chaos. Yeah. Just like if you were to say that we invent religion, we invent religion to make order from the chaos that is the natural world. Yeah. Marat's still very important, but still this insane important principle is dwarfed because it, it can't exist without Hekka. Hekka mm-hmm. is everything. So like I said, this shows how massive and integral Heka was in Egyptian mythology and the ancient Egyptians' understanding of the world at large. Heka interacts with all things and is present in every earthly function, even something as fundamental as order and harmony. Anyway, so that's Heka's a big deal. Yeah. So as a god, Heka represented magic and medicine. Because when you think about it, medicine is almost like magic, you know, because medicine can heal and change and hijack a natural occurring thing. Right. We use it to manipulate nature, Mm -hmm. in a sense. A lot of transformation and things. Yeah, exactly. In ancient Egypt, doctors fell under one of two branches, 
titles that were called General Practitioner and Magical Practitioner. So the General Practitioners concerned themselves with early medical texts and surprisingly sophisticated treatments for ailments and injuries. For more serious complications like disease, Magical Practitioners would channel Heka to successfully execute healing spells. Hmm. So in ancient Egypt, diseases were thought to be caused by evil spirits invading the body. So besides spells, doctors implemented amulets, aromas, tattoos, and statues or totems of worship to appease the occasional enraged deity thought to be causing the sickness. So either a demon was inside you, like a bad spirit, or a god didn't like you and they're making you sick. Mm-hmm. Medical texts were merely, uh, you know, papyrus rolls. Is that what it's called? Papyrus? Papyrus, yeah. Papyrus rolls that contained not only spells, but recordings of genuine medical treatments. Uh, and the surviving scrolls contain surprisingly advanced healthcare concepts like, in these scrolls, there are early forms of pharmaceuticals to treat infections. There are examples of doctors using massage and aromatherapy for healing purposes, prescribing cannabis to cancer patients, forms of contraception, the earliest known pregnancy tests, treatment for heart disease, diabetes, urinary tract infections, digestive issues, and surgical techniques. Interesting. From magic spells to legitimate health science, all healing derived from Heka in a fundamental sense. It wasn't until architect and physician Emotep, he introduced secular medicine, which was a non-mystical approach to medicine. So essentially he took the general practitioner, part of the Egyptian medicine, and threw away the magical practitioner. And it was at this point the doctors became more like scientists and less like magicians. So Emotep first theorized that diseases had natural causes that weren't created by gods or demons. One thing I did notice, I know you're going to connect Heka to tarot. Right. Because I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with cards? Hmm. And I found that they're actually like tarot has no legitimate roots to ancient Egypt, no historical evidence. However, when you look at the actual history of tarot, which I don't know if you're going to go into the actual. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go so deep. Yeah. Actual playing cards came from Egypt. So while actual tarot, I think, came from like Italy or France, before that, before it became tarot, it was just a weird kind of playing card game. And that came from Egypt. Yeah. It's actually, it's really weird. Like the entire like history and ideals and everything of tarot, I think is really bizarre and really interesting. And there's like a lot of different layers to it. Like a lot, a lot of different layers. Because I think when I first started researching it and probably when you were researching it, it seems pretty evident like, oh, okay, it probably came from Italy and that's that, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. that, and um, it was like playing cards and then it, people started using it for occultism reasons. Yeah. But it actually has a lot more deeper meaning to it than just like divination. So the reason I thought like covering Egyptian Hekka magic would be interesting is because a lot of the idea of tarot is kind of tapping into this collective magic system, mm-hmm. you know, because like Hekka is just like, it is what it is. Like it exists and that's just like how it is. Everything is infused with this energy and this sense of purpose. Yeah. Every human is connected in its own way. Our past, present, future is connected in its own way. And I'll like go more into that. But that's kind of the idea behind tarot as well. Is it's just kind of tapping into that energy to give you conceptual meanings to it that you can understand. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because I know with tarot, you have to like think about the person that you're doing a reading for. And to me, that's that's like Hekka. They're always there waiting to be read. Yeah. You know I mean, you just have to feel this magnetic field that's everywhere. And like you have to focus on them. Right. And like tap into that tap energy into source. It. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which I think is very interesting. So I'm going to go on a real deep dive here. So I want you to strap in. Feel free. I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff here. 
So just general, I'm going to get very general and then get very, very, very specific into okay. a lot of different things. So if you've never looked at a tarot deck before, never heard of it, anything like that, it's a deck of cards that consists of 78 cards. There's 22 what you call major arcana or trump cards. And then there's 56 minor arcana cards. So minor cards are split into four groups. The wands, which represent fire, the cups, which represent water, the swords, which represent air, and the pentacles, which represent earth. And the major arcana cards reflect major life events. So you'll see things like the high priestess, death, chariot, the world, the lovers, the hermit, very symbolic characters and have a lot of meaning tapped into these symbols. So the idea behind the major arcana is that it reflects the fool's journey. So the fool is the first card in the major arcana. So all of those cards kind of reflect this journey that the fool starts on because in the very beginning, you don't really know anything and you're optimistic, ambitious, and you have like all of these hardships and all of these successes, you know, mm -hmm. as life goes on. This is thought to symbolize humanity's spiritual evolution into enlightenment. So when you're reading tarot, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You have like different spreads. You can do like past, present, future. You can have ones that are right. based off of your situation. You can focus on your love life, your career, you know, anything like that. And these cards each have their own very specific meaning and the order that they come out and the relationships and connections they play with each other kind of create and tell the story yeah. about the situation that you're asking about. I'm not going to go into like the meanings of each one. All of the different groups kind of have their different core ideas. So like pentacles tend to represent wealth, material what type things. What is pentacles? Like, what does that word mean? The pentagram, like the star. Okay. Yeah. Pentacles. Yeah, it kind of looks like a coin. I was gonna say I, all the cards I saw was like a coin with with the star on it. But yeah, it makes more sense now. Yeah, okay. so those are pentacles. Swords represent very direct things like communication. Cups is like emotions. Okay. And wands are fire. That's more of like imagination, intuition. Okay. Um, and things like that. So the actual history of tarot has a lot of ties into esotericism. Mm -hmm. And this word, I don't know why, confused the fuck out of me. Because yeah. like anytime you research what is esotericism, they're yeah. like, oh, it's just like a bunch of ideas. Esotericism is like secret ideas, right? Yeah. It's kind, kind of, of like, talked about in the past, Western esotericism and stuff like that. Right. It's like a group of loosely connected ideas around like something kind of mystic. Like forbidden knowledge, typically. Right. Right. So like a lot of our podcast topics are like esoteric in nature. The actual origin of tarot is traced back to like the late 14th century. And it has a lot of different origin stories. And it's a bit hard to pinpoint when it actually arose. It's thought to be from Egypt, but the first actual recordings of it came from Italy. Yeah. Some thought it to be a representation of the lost Egyptian Book of the Dead because the original cards had a lot of Egyptian symbolism in it. Mm -hmm. This is generally disputed because the text ended up getting translated from the Book of the Dead and it was just spells and incantations to like assist the dead on their journey to the underworld. Uh, they call them funerary texts. Yeah. It's like any kind of spells you need to like assure that someone gets into the afterlife safely and securely and stuff. And it's like a bunch of spells and like chants you do at their funeral. And right. Stuff. So then another theory pointed towards the Egyptian book of Thoth, 
So he's the god of knowledge and writing. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of uh, not my native language types of names, okay. and I will ruin them. Okay, cool. <laughs> so Anthony Court de Giblin. Gablin? Oh, no. no. We're already bad. Oh, that's already bad. I can already tell. bad. Is this already French? Bad. Is this like a French name? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're um, going to butcher the French names. Yeah, the French, the French. So he theorized that this claim was the only writing to survive the burning of libraries and had the most sacred doctrines of Egypt, this book of Thoth. Okay. So the book supposedly had a series of bizarre figures on 78 leaves. And remember, there are 78 tarot cards. Mm -hmm. So 78 leaves, which... He believed to hold arcane esoteric knowledge and said that tarot composed of the word tar, which means path, and ro, which means royal, oh. which gives you tarot. And these makes up to mean the royal path of human life that one person follows. The, few, the fool's journey. The fool's journey, right. So he believed that these pictures were made to predict the future and like interpret dreams. And some of his interpretations were using the star so the star card has a picture of like a naked woman in a stream and she has like two cups of water pouring out. Yeah. He says that Sirius, which is like a god, rises with the Nile at the new year. The star depicts Sirius and the lady below, the one with the cups, is Isis because it's her tears that flood the Nile every year. Okay. So he kind of like takes mythology from Egypt and like ties them to the symbolisms of these cards. Right. The devil card is supposed to be the god Set or the god of darkness and chaos. And if you look at the chariot card, it's being helmed by two sphinxes. There's one that's black and one that's white. This is the imagery in the oldest. Like the original Rider Waite deck, but there's yeah. a reason why I'll kind of talk okay. about in a minute. So another theory states that tarot evolved from mystical numbered cards in the Far East that were brought to Europe by the Knights Templar uh, during or after the Crusades. So the first cards were thought to appear between 1430 and 1450 in Italy because artists in Europe created the first set of cards with four suits that were used in games. It was very similar in design to tarot where it had wands, coins, cups, and swords. So instead of pentacles, it was coins. Ooh, it was coins, okay. After like a few decades, Italian artists started painting cards with really heavy illustrations into the existing suits. So they called these triumph cards. These were in conjunction with the suits. So these were often painted for wealthy families. Nobility would commission artists to create their own set of these triumph cards with their family members and friends. Right. And the printing press really allowed for playing card decks to be mass produced. To become a phenomenon. Right. Because I, one thing I, I read too when researching this was that a big reason they think that tarot started to show this like occult imagery is because around this time, like you said, the, the earliest forms of these decks were like commissioned by wealthy people who could afford to commission intricate art. Right. It was around the time where nobility, anyone with education and stuff, ancient religions got really popular. Yeah. Like ancient cults and ancient mythology and stuff like that was kind of part of the zeitgeist at that time. Mm -hmm. And so it's a one reason why they just started saying, hey, can you paint this weird esoteric imagery mm -hmm. on these cards? Right. But the original purpose was like a parlor game and not divination. Yeah. So it became popular in the occult in the late 16th century, but it was like very simple and there wasn't like these elaborate spreads that we have now. Uh, it wasn't until the 18th century that people were assigning very specific meanings to each card and creating these elaborate types of spreads. 
1781, a French Freemason published a complex analysis of tarot where he showed the symbolism came from the esoteric secrets of Egyptian priests. And he connected it to the legends of Isis, Osiris, you know, a lot of the other gods in Egyptian mythology. There was no real evidence to support it, but wealthy families fucking loved this idea and really jumped on it and yeah. began having their decks be designed around this like concept of Egyptian mythology and like creationism. And in 1791, a French occultist released the first tarot deck made for divination and later wrote a book on how to use tarot for future telling. And this is at the end of the Victorian era where occult and spiritualism was very popular and like seances were being performed at dinner parties and things. So this is like turn of the century, like hip and popular and all the rage. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so strange how like nobility, upper class, those kinds of people, they find these really strange, I'm not going to say taboo, but these really strange, rare things that only they have access to, like, you know, old books that tell you about this, good educations that inform you about these histories. And like, they use it as their little fun hobby. It's fucking bizarre. So the tarot decks were slowly being connected with hermetic mysticism. So it all kind of started with this guy uh, who I'm also going to horribly pronounce his name. <laughs> Elphus <laughs> Levi Sahid in the 19th century, okay. uh, who originally trained for priesthood, which is like an interesting parallel. I've noticed that a lot of priests tend to come up with occultism, mysticism beliefs, which like that whole psychology, I think could be a whole separate rabbit hole. But yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was cool. So he found correlations between tarot and the Hebrew system of mysticism called the Kabbalah. Mm. So there are 22 trump cards in the tarot deck, and those match the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And he also found connections to the tree of life. And he came to believe that tarot was a roadmap to become enlightened. The occultist Paul Christian, which was like his successor, wrote The History and Practice of Magic in 1870, where he describes an Egyptian initiation rite, which is linked to tarot. They show each other their penises. Right. This is like in our club. <laughs> Let me see it. And I'll show you mine. Show me yours. I'll show you mine. So in this book, he explained that the Finks of Giza served as an entrance to vaults where the Magi held initiation rituals and hallways led to underground portions of the Great Pyramid. Their initiates faced life-threatening tests of courage and wisdom. And if they survived, they went down a pit on a 78-rung ladder into a gallery. And in that gallery lined on each side were 22 statues with heavy symbolism. They were said to be greeted by a magus or a guardian of sacred symbols who explained the 22 symbols of the major arcana, which is in the right. tarot. Yeah. Hey, buddy, congratulations. Let's go look at pictures together. All right. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> hey, good job. I'm glad you figured out the puzzle. A lot of people didn't. <laughs> Let's go look at some cool uh, pictures of uh, old scary gods. All right. You'll be powerful, I promise. Yeah, it'll be good. Oh, it's interesting. I love how this is all like rich people fan fiction. Yeah. In any time era, when you have so much money that you like don't work or that you don't need to worry about things, you're like, oh my God, what can I do today that I haven't already done? Let's tap into the magic of the universe. Well, these are also priests. What kind of priests? What is the country of origin here? So this is like Europe. So this European is priests. Yeah. French. So, okay, so these are Catholic, probably Catholic. Probably Catholic. You know, Chris, Christian, yeah. regardless Christian. They're trying to make Egyptian stuff canon with 
their faith. Yeah, in a which sense. is interesting. Yeah, because usually that's like huge taboo stuff. But but they're still kind of turning it into a spectacle. It's more like a fun adventure game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this idea of like going down underground to you know the final boss because it's supposed to be under the Sphinx, right? Yeah, like the Great yeah. Pyramid. It reminds me of like when I was in school, like elementary school. And like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Mm. We didn't quite know how to play, but we loved the pictures. Yeah. And we were like, this guy's the strongest because he looks toughest. And then it's also mixed in with this kid mythology where you're like, under the school, there's like an ancient crypt. Oh, and there's this yeah. thing there. There's like that primitive yet pervasive idea of like, I don't understand this thing, but my mind's doing the heavy lifting because of this imagery, because what I don't understand is so foreign and, and, and fascinating. Yeah. Like I imagine that and like, hold on. There's connections here. There's yeah. tarot. There's a Kabbalah. There's a tree of life. There's something like... Blah, blah, blah. Anytime numbers get involved, watch out. Yeah. There's 42 letters in here and 42 cards right. in there. And oh my God. It's like no one is making... Like in any conspiracy, there is theoretically like the ground floor of when this conspiracy started. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's a military base on the moon, that's the conspiracy. So the ground floor is some government agent says, let's make a base on the moon. I love it. And so I have a hard time, or actually I would love the idea of like somebody being like, okay, you know what we got to do? Some Egyptians hanging around like, we got to make a bunch of cards. <laughs> Let's make that many cards. And then we're going to freak people out and trick them. But somebody's going to figure it out someday. So that's why we're going to make a basement under this giant stone cat. Right. <laughs> and when they do figure it out, they're going to come down here. And there's going to be a guy who says, congratulations, you won the game. Right. It just gives me like oblivion vibes. Oh, for sure. No, this is 100% you know I mean? RPG. I would love it if this shit was like, Oh my God, it'd be like incredible. Reality, you know? I would love that. I would love that. Mm, right. So have you ever heard, I'm sure you've heard of it, but do you know what the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is? I mean, he, not, yeah. Like it's, I've encountered it so much in research for this podcast. Like I know uh, Aleister Crowley was a part of it. Yeah. Cause Aleister Crowley has his own fuckery with tarot as well. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like has to get his dick into everything. He does, yeah. It's not sex magic, is it? No. It's a secret society from the 19th and 20th century that studied occult-type shenanigans. Yeah. It was known as a magical order and was centered in Great Britain. Tarot is intertwined with things like astrology, the Kabbalah, and like the Tree of Life and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And it's kind of interesting how they all kind of play into it. Yeah. So I'm going to do each one separately and then kind of talk about how they intertwine. Okay. Uh, So the Kabbalah is a school of thought that explains the relationship between the universe, God, and the infinity by studying the hidden meanings of the Torah. So it originated from Jewish mysticism that now has ties in like Christianity and Hermeticism. In the Kabbalah, there are four worlds that correspond with a letter and the name of God, along with a suit and the minor arcana. So each world is connected with one another. You'll hear, I call them nodes quite often because that idea tends to transcend between all of them. Um, in the Kabbalah, it's called a sephiroth. I'm just going to call it a node. What's a node? A branch of something? Yeah. So a node is kind of like this state of consciousness or a state of being. And it interlocks with one another, like paths that connect these nodes or these states of consciousness. Same as these different worlds? Yeah, so these are like connected into those four different worlds. Okay. If you want to think about it, it kind of creates like a ladder shape with all of these nodes and like these paths between all of them. It kind of creates like a lattice structure. So this structure, this ladder structure 
is thought to transcend from the material world to the divine. It's also called Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Or a path from earth to heaven that came to Jacob in a dream. The Kabbalah have these nodes like the Sephiroth that act as mirrors to the minor arcana in tarot. So the minor arcana, again, is where it's split into the four suits. In those, they're numbered one, which is an ace, all the way up to ten. So ace is said to be at the very top of the ladder, and that's where the divine is, you know, up near the heavens. It's symbolized as a crown that's half dipped in humanity and the other dipped in divinity, the connection between the two worlds. They all have like their own specific correspondences. I'm not going to go into each one, but the 10th is like the bottom and that's supposed to represent the earth, very material type things. Okay. So the tree of life plays into this as it describes universal laws where every human is connected to each other and we sort of form the branches of life. We're getting real heavy here. Oh, geez. There's a whole lot. Oh, geez. Can we get back to the trading card game? Right. So the branches and roots show how energy moves to manifest as matter. The roots is like the body of everything, like the greater unconscious. And then as you move upwards into the branches, you'll find the soul. The branches at the very top is where it meets the divine, the heavens, like this greater Hekka type of energy. Okay. So this is like the blue. I know that word. Yeah. The blueprint of creation. So there's said to be 10 nodes and 22 paths that connect to each node. They all kind of connect to each other. So there's like a lot of triangles and like weird I've types seen, of I've shapes. I've seen this image of this tree of alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's not like a very perfect looking ladder. Because um, if you imagine like a ladder, you have some that go diagonal right, to like connect with each other, right? you know, and these are each like the paths of life and each node, like little central spot is like the state of consciousness that you're at. So it's basically saying that as a human, you kind of start at the bottom, yeah, very earthly, weighed down, grounded version of yourself. And as you go through life, you go through these paths and these lessons And you change the level of consciousness that you're at. And you're slowly going up this ladder until you reach enlightenment. At the end of your life, hopefully, you reach that. Makes sense. Kind of like Scientology. Kind of like Scientology a little bit. There's like a ladder you climb and there's different levels. Mm -hmm. There's like different levels. So the 22 paths are known as the path of the serpent because it kind of looks all wriggly if you draw it out that way. Okay. And it represents the soul seeking to return to the divine or like the heavens. It's also called the path of redemption. So you move along by healing in the material world. uh, And it also correlates to the chakras, seven chakras, or the map of the body. They're throwing everything. This is a big stool of like any esoteric thing. Let's just jam it into one hierarchy system. The diagrams, the fucking diagrams that I had to look at (laughs) were so convoluted. So what? I'm going to show you them because holy fuck. Holy fuck. If you fuck. Google, I think like, um, uh, what's it called? Tab- Kabbalah? Kabbalah, yeah. Um, I was almost said Tabuli. <laughs> um, if you Google Tab- Kabbalah? Kabbalah. Kabasa. If you Google Kabbalah, oh my God, what's the, <laughs> what is going on? If you Google Kabbalah and Tree of Life, you'll see what we're talking about. I can give you the website that I used for all of this and you can like see how it layers onto itself to create this really insane looking diagram. (laughs) So the tree of life also exists in four different worlds, right? Oh God. Four suits, four worlds of the Kabbalah, four worlds of the tree of life, right? 
And these are all like separate stories that unfold the minor arcana, right? So the Tree of Life is also split up into four worlds. Okay, that's easier than a bunch of ladders. Right, so the Kabbalah is split up into four worlds. The Terra is split up into four suits. Tree of Life is split up into four worlds. The world of Emanation, which symbolizes the fire and wands of tarot. They all have their Hebrew names, but I'm not even going to try and do that. Let's avoid that. So there's the world of creation, which symbolizes the water and cups of tarot. The world of formation, which symbolizes air and swords. And then manifestation, which symbolizes earth and pentacles. Of course. So how it all comes together, right? We were waiting for this. Yeah. Besides all the obvious correlations. Obvious. Like very clear. Very clear. Wow. Brain bursting open. Everything makes sense now. I Mm -hmm. feel enlightened because pentacles and ladders and serpents and trees. Yeah. There's a whole lot of correlations here. That obviously makes sense. So the general idea is that the entire belief system behind tarot, behind the Kabbalah, behind the tree of life, all of these ideas kind of transcend each other and that it's not arbitrary, this type of symbolism. And it tends to be like universal, like this universal inherent knowledge that we have as humans, this unconscious belief system that intertwines all of these cultures' knowledge, basically. So the cards kind of connect this past, present, future with the universe, ourselves, and each other. My brain is fried. This greater network of magic and knowledge and knowing. Yeah. Like Hekka. Like Hekka. I think that's a word I've heard before. Like Hekka. What the Hekka? What the Hekka? So I also did a bit of like astrology because astrology connects to tarot with like the suits and fire signs, earth signs, you know, shit like that. Horoscopes? Yeah, horoscopes. Yeah. That kind of has like its own connection to it. Um, I don't have to talk about it because I already kind of threw a lot at you. But what I did... I'm already frightened and scared. Yeah. What I can't do, which I thought was fun, I looked into our zodiac signs and how they like correspond to tarot cards, like what tarot cards we would be. And then also Egyptian did a lot with astrology. They were real fucking in astrology. They were like the foundations of astrology. Mm -hmm. So I looked up what our zodiacs would be in Egyptian astrology and what that means, which I thought was fun. So I'm a Virgo, which means that (laughs) in tarot, I am the hermit and the (laughs) queen of pentacles. (laughs) (laughs) You, I love that. And you are a Taurus. uh, So you're the Hierophant and the king of pentacles. Fucking A, pentacle brothers. What was the first word? Hierophant. What does that mean? So that's the card that represents like a lot of order, structure, laws. Well, if there's one thing about me, it's structured (laughs) and lawful. I I saw that and I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) uh, What? So for Egyptian astrology, it's kind of hard to get an accurate depiction of what we actually are for our zodiac signs because there's some differences in interpretation based on like original Egyptian ideals versus after the Greeks ruled Egypt. Yeah. So... There's discrepancies between the two. Okay. So I picked the ones that I felt were more accurate. So I am Thoth. I think I was Thoth in both, which is the god of writing magic and science. Uh, So the qualities of Thoth in the Zodiac is romantic, wise, and smart. They generally tend to be teachers or lawyers, and they correspond with the moon and the planet Mercury. Okay. So that was kind of cool. Uh, you are Osiris, which is the god of the underworld and resurrection. Fucking A, man. That's right? metal as hell. Main qualities for you are strong, 
vulnerable and independent. You tend to be in the teacher role and you correspond with the planets Pluto and the sun. The sun is a star. Okay. I thought you were the god the of science. celestial bodies. Bodies. I like that. Okay, good. So the main takeaways is that tarot kind of acts as like a storybook for our lives. Whether you mm -hmm. believe in all the different ties to Egypt, Kabbalah, tree of life, all that stuff. Yeah. Tarot has a lot of symbolism and a lot of meanings tied to each card that transcends many centuries now. Yes. As you use them, you tend to find the connections between the symbolisms to create a story in whatever area of your life you're trying to find answers to. Making predictions isn't really what they're for. It's more for assessing your own inner wisdom and finding different ways to look at things. So different yeah. perceptions and ways to analyze a situation and how to kind of get guidance to find answers to the problems that you're facing in your life. Just find <gasps> guidance. <laughs> I just put my hand on the candle. Oh. <laughs> wow. The cinnamon candle from earlier. Oh. I just literally went to go move my glass and I put my hand right over the candle and burned my hand. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That sounds I like... I forgot that was there. That was forever ago. That was before pentacles. And the nodes. Right, that was, that was like pre-nodes. It's still burning. Good job. We brought some good tea lights. <laughs> I just want to say we haven't heard any uh, ghostly whispers ever since we brought out the cinnamon candles. That's very true. I'm just saying. Something about cinnamon. So the tarot cards kind of tap into your subconscious and find answers using like your intuition to interpret the symbolism and like the meanings of the cards. Yeah. The reflection is pretty much all on you or the person doing the reading for you. Yeah. But the future is fluid and your actions matter and you shape your future. Yes. Is the idea. So I'm going to talk about very last thing just because it has Aleister Crowley and I think he's fucking weird. I love Aleister Crowley. The main deck that you'll probably hear or know of with tarot is the Rider Waite deck. Arthur Waite was a British occultist and a member of the Golden Dawn and a longtime nemesis of Aleister Crowley. <laughs> so he got together with Pamela Coleman-Smith to make the deck, and it was published in 1909, and it was heavy on Kabbalah symbolism. Mm -hmm. Aleister Crowley and Lady Frida Harris devised the Thoth tarot deck. Yeah. So he wrote, like, a whole essay on, like, the tarot and Egyptians and shit in 1944. Yeah. He channeled the god. His wife channeled one of the Egyptian gods, didn't? Or some Assyrian god yeah, or something? Yeah, something like that. He's weird. Yeah, he was originally a member of the Golden Dot as well, but left to make his own society called the Silver Star. I'm sure that uh, probably is a euphemism for an asshole. Because right. he loves doing repulsive things sexually with the human body. Alice Crowley is a fucking pervert. What was his tarot cards like? Oh, they're just kind of ugly. I don't know. And the swords are penises and the pentacles are also penises and the, right. <laughs> and the, the cups are buttholes full of penises. Weird, yeah. I think if I met him when we were both alive, I would have punched him. He would have targeted me. He would have been like, I want you to do magic with me. And to do that, you'll have to drink a lot of alcohol and let me put my body on your body. Right. All he did, literally his whole life was just... Um, just Orgies. Orgies sex and magic. drugs. The Silver Star was like a lot of sex magic yeah. stuff. It was like the orgy version of the Hermetic Order. Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> I believe he was he was um, exiled from the uh, Golden Dawn or Hermetic whatever that is yeah. because his reputation was so scandalous because of the sex magic, because of his drunken behavior, they kicked him out. He was making... A weird secret cult about ancient gods look bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dude, we got to get you out of here. You're just getting yeah, too fucking like weird fucked. for this. Go away. 
Yeah, that's all I got. Closing tarot. That was a wild ride. And I hope this broke your brain as much as it broke my brain. Very dense. It was a lot. Yeah. I hope I explained it in a way that kind of made sense. So I had really tried to like research tarot as well. So I could try to have a conversation because I know you know so much about tarot. Try to have a conversation with you about it. And it was so hard to research because of all the discrepancy between different stories and histories of where it came from and what it's really about. It's crazy. Yeah, this was like one of those topics that I really spent a lot of time sifting through a lot of different references and things because yeah. everyone has like their own different idea. And I wanted to get as accurate of an interpretation as I can right. with also like the knowledge of this is very subjective. <laughs> yeah. It's a case of not too many cooks in the kitchen, but like it passing from hand to hand. Right. And like the and changing whole, every time. The whole idea that it was like a secret thing that people could do and you couldn't really write about it or depict it or anything. And if you did, then you're a bad magic person. Bad evil witch man. You're a bad magic person. So it's it's really hard. But I think it's, that's what kind of makes it fun and all the more mysterious. Because there's a lot of rules and also at the same time, there's no rules to it. Really, you can interpret it and personalize it, which is really what tarot is now, it seems to be. It's more about personalization and like what it says about you and your personal journey. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a horoscope almost. It kind of feels like a Chucky doll tarot. You, you know, know because like just people, say that. <laughs> people try and get rid of Chucky, right? Uh, but like Chucky keeps popping up. Chucky's like eternal. Chucky's always going to be around. No matter whether you like it or not, whether you think he's evil or not, he is evil in the movies. But like if Chucky were a nice guy. Oh, we're talking about Chucky Finster, which is weird. <laughs> 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 Just remember, kids, if you take away anything, tarot is a lot like Chucky. A lot like Chucky Finster. Yeah. <laughs> no, the murder doll. The murder doll. He's a murder doll, not the Rugrats character. That was such a strong ending there. I love that because it's very true. It's just like Chucky. It's just like- it looks like a toy, but it's really not. Wow. You're welcome for giving that analogy some fucking depth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had plenty of depth to begin with. So I hope you enjoyed this absolute thunderstorm of words and ideas. Esotericism is difficult to talk about. It kind of is, but I also think that's what makes it fun. It's very elaborate, very simple, but also very complex at the same time. Yeah. It's simple in the sense of like, you can point it and say, that's weird. Yeah. It's just like a (laughs) universal knowledge. So it seems simple in that way, but the way it overlaps with other versions of that universal knowledge makes it seem very crazy. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave off on that. So too. Yeah. Do you have any good vibes that you would like Honestly, to give? Osiris. Is that me? Yeah. Fucking Osiris. King of the underworld and Pluto that's and stuff. That's very fun. That's so fun. Pluto and the sun. That's like the beginning and end of our solar system. Right. Pluto's the cold little frozen turd and the sun is the big hot mama. Mm. And I'm both. And I'm yeah, also king of the underworld. I'm teaching. I'm preaching. I'm making Hell that ass yeah. clap. I feel very empowered just knowing that. So thank you. Yeah. I feel like that's fun because you are the mystical one in a way. Mm-hmm. Mystical minded. Where I think I'm more of science, which is thought, you know. I think fundamentally it's true. But you were also the one who burnt cinnamon on a candle because you thought there was a demon in the basement. Okay, but I also did that because you felt more comfortable with me doing that. Very true. You know what? That's just how I roll. (laughs) One minute I'm suspicious of magic. The next minute I am all on board with burning some cinnamon and salt. And what was that? Cayenne? Cumin? Cumin. So I think a new tradition that we're going to have to do with every podcast recording now is have a jar of salt. Yes. And then also burn a cinnamon candle. I think I would feel more safe in a weird way. Because we definitely did invite something in here. 
Stop saying that. It makes me scared. <laughs> no. This is like when we no, recorded no. the Black Eyed Children's episode for Hillbilly Horror Stories. And then the entire like next week I was looking over my shoulder. Well, this was just something that happened in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. This is your house, not mine. I take some comfort in that. And I hope, what's your good vibe also? Did you give a good vibe? My good vibe is not having bad dreams tonight. Yeah, we'll know what happens. My, based oh, on your my dreams. good vibe. My good vibe is that I can open my eyes and I can see things without pain right now. That's right. Your eyes falling out. It was. This is a great moment to ask you for finally for some some closure on what's going on with your eye. Oh God, that's such a long story. Uh, okay, so basically, part of my cornea fell off. Fascinating. <laughs> and it's been. Uh, continuously falling off in stages ever since January, and it is now coming to a head, where it is uh, falling off at a greater frequency than it was before. So now I'm doing eye drops every single hour and ointment three times a day. And you've had an eye patch for a while. I did, for 10 days. I still wear it occasionally when my eye's really irritated. And my life is a living hell. Do you ever think about just letting it go and just wearing an eye patch and letting your eye fall off? I've thought about it. When you're in that much pain... I was going to say, yeah. I bet you have actually thought about this. Mm-hmm. A glass eye wouldn't be all that bad. No, it'd be pretty funny, actually. Maybe that's the move. I need to fully embrace my pirate aesthetic. As a reminder, we do have a Patreon now. So if you do like this podcast and you would like to keep it rolling, because we do have an editor in things now that we pay big bucks to. Not really. Thank you, James, so much. God bless. <laughs> God bless. You can help us keep this show running by contributing to our Patreon. We added a few more tiers, so there's a lot more benefits now that you can take advantage of, like getting ad-free listens and early episode releases, and also contributing to what our next episode topics will be. Yeah. So if any of that interests you, feel free to check it out. You can also find our social medias on Facebook and Instagram at According to an Idiot. Or our Twitter, at Idiots Accord, so we can let you know when a new episode is released and get fun, cool, little extra doodads of artwork and things, if that kind of stuff interests you. You can also give us an email at accordingtoanidiot at gmail.com if you have any feedback or special stuff you would like us to know. Feed our backs. And if you really, really like us, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah. And that helps other people find the show and ultimately helps it keep it running as well. Yes. Uh, If you've already left a review, thank you so much. Um, You have my undying gratitude. Jeremy, we have two new iTunes reviews. Hell yeah. We do. Okay. Also, like we, I probably have more. We were supposed to be reading them off every time we got a review. Yeah. We missed a few. We loved them all. So appreciate it. Thank you for leaving a review. Um, I Please don't be mad at us. Actually, we haven't really gotten a lot um, since October. We've gotten two since then. Right. So. Well, because October is the last time we released a good episode. <laughs> no. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Don't That's say that. mean. Don't do that. If you do leave an iTunes review, first of all, thank you so much. And if it incentivizes you at all, I will read them off on our episodes. So that's what I'm going to be reading them off today. Uh, if you don't want me to read it, that's also fine. Just like, let me know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we got one from PJ back in April, and it is titled An Immaculate Listen. They said, decided to listen to these two idiots on a week-long drive halfway across the country. I'm about three quarters through all of their episodes and can't say enough good things about them both. Both Mo and Jeremy are quick-witted, intelligent, full of fun, knowledge, and absolutely hilarious. 
They're a joy to listen to and have kept my attention during this road trip. As someone with ADHD, that's difficult to do, lol, with their numerous segments and overall flow of the show. I've already recommended them to my friends, and if you are reading this, I recommend them to you as well. Listen to these charming idiots and get your spook on. Thank you so much for that review. Who was that? PJ. PJ, thank you so much. As someone with um, ADHD, I too cannot focus on one goddamn thing for like more than maybe 20 minutes that's liberal that's That's, very yeah that's an exaggeration so i (laughs) the fact that you listen to more than that i am tickled tickled thank you so much uh and then we have another review by brit anar and they titled it massively underrated Ooh. they said this show should be bigger than it is these two are so naturally funny and talented and also self-aware i hope they start posting more often because i love every episode they are so entertaining. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. That was very nice. I love these reviews. It feels very good to get this kind of feedback, and it encourages us to keep on doing what you're, we're doing. Yeah, because we really are trying to whip out more episodes as well. I think that's the main feedback that we kind of get, is that more content is wanted. And especially now that we have an editor, uh, that's a lot easier to do. But it still does take a lot of time to like research and produce and record and edit all of this. Uh, so your support, getting our names out there, contributing to the Patreon are really the best ways to help us yes. uh, achieve that goal. So if that's something that you would like, please help us do that. I mean, whatever support we get, we are immensely grateful for. Because, yeah. I mean, we started this primarily. This is a hobby. It's right. fun to do. And it's even more fun to hear from you guys and to interact with you guys. It's like, honestly, as a content creator, whatever you want to call it, a dream. To know that people are like interacting with your medium and mm-hmm. enjoying it. That's all I need. That's all I have ever wanted from this. A hundred percent. And we are like pretty much primarily word of mouth, which is also very fun. Yeah. You know, someone listened to it and they liked it enough to go tell their friends and then that's, their friends start listening to it. Yeah. And that's just like how we've gotten where we are now, which is, is kind so of awesome. wild to think about. I love you. Thank you for reviewing us. Unless it was negative, in which case you probably caused irreparable damage to my ego. But still, thank you for letting your voice be heard. So, signing off, I don't even know if we said our name. Did we say our names at any point in this cluster? Kind of. Well, I'm, my name's Jeremy. My name is Mo. And I will see you in time. I love you.